Welcome to Industry Insights a podcast for, by and about the film industry from the Berlinale's European film market produced in cooperation with Goethe Institute and co-funded by Creative Europe Media. Today's episode was developed in partnership with Europa Distribution. Today's topic is distribution, or perhaps I should say publishing and distribution, which is what it's increasingly often called in the film industry, all part of a conceptual and practical shift in the role of the distributor in this evolving landscape. My name is Johanna Koljonen. I'm a media analyst, strategic consultant and experience designer based in Sweden. I will have two guests on today's show. We'll meet Katarzyna oryszak Marison from Polish distributor Gutek Film. And before that, in fact, right now, Ben Johnson, CEO of film tech company Groovy. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, so uh, first we have to do some Berlinale housekeeping. Groovy was in the EFM Startups program in 2018. I hope that was a good experience for you. No, it was great. It was a very exciting two or three days that we were involved in. The organization was excellent. And of course, uh, as a company, you guys have been around for over a decade. So I do expect that many listeners will know you. But for those who might not be hands-on in actually releasing films normally, how would you describe what Groovy offers today? So the traditional way that The agency model works within film is quite broken. A lot of agency campaigns generally tend to focus on brand awareness. And within independent distribution, the budgets aren't there for a big studio-style release. So we've come at the problem from the opposite side, focusing on audiences that already buy tickets for film, already have an interest in a particular genre, and using that as the kernel that we then model out from. So our campaigns are really about trying to inform a user base that might be interested in seeing this film as opposed to trying to inform everyone and then drilling down from there. As an industry, we were a little bit late to this game. How do you feel we're doing now with film and and digital? Better. There's always an important creative dimension with film, right? It's it's not like soapbox commercials or advertising most other products. You know, the, the fact is the trailer is still a massive generator of interest. And the way that the poster communicates about the film is also very, very important. So I would say that film had the advantage of being creatively more advanced and more attuned towards social desires. The issue that has really hampered the industry over the years has been the lack of connection between that interest and the actual purchase And this is the bit that we're really trying to fix now across the industry. So I would say within the next five to ten years, we're probably going to be looking at a film market which would be kind of like the games market. If you have the fortune to go and check out any of the happenings with, say, the pocket games industry, which is basically what your kids get addicted to on on their iPhones and iPads. In that environment, you have tremendous creativity. People trying to think up all kinds of different angles on games. It's a very, very lucrative environment. And of course, like film, it's a creative environment where, you know, 90% or 80% of the ideas don't make money, but the 20% that do really, really do. And in that industry, what we're seeing is the perfect tip of the spear scenario of creativity meeting business and e-commerce. Because with when you're advertising for mobile pocket games through the ad platforms, which are the same for film, iTunes, the App Store on Apple, or Google Play. In those scenarios, the intellectual property that's being marketed, you can actually track back to the sale. So when you run an ad for a game, 
you can see exactly how much money it makes, which audiences then buy, which then informs you how to make sure that you're doing all your e-commerce steps from there to basically provide you a return on advertising spend. We don't have that in film yet because the primary reason is that the film value chain is very fragmented. You have cinemas that control the box office and receive the customers, but it's the studios and the distributors that do all the advertising through their agencies that have a vested interest in the film, but actually never meet the customer. Yeah, this sort of historical silos. And I, I mean, I know we've been talking about this for, I want to say, like 10 or 15 years, and then still we are in this situation. So how far along are we in solving this problem? Because surely we are going to need some kind of like life cycle plan for communicating a title. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, even the big studios are reinventing the wheel with every campaign. And that unfortunately means that a lot of the money in the, in the advertising and the promotion is not recycled. It's kind of how much mud can we throw at the wall to see what sticks. And that doesn't work for independent niche content. So the cinemas have the beauty of sitting on a database of audience interests and behaviors that is as powerful as anything that Netflix can come out with, particularly the bigger cinemas. They have all this transactional purchase behavior data. They have all this film interest data. They just don't understand how to use it. And there's not really the human resources available within cinemas to actually make a go over the marketing because it's never really been their interest. It's always been handled by the studios. We basically have a global footprint. So we're in operation in over 22 markets internationally. And one of the benefits of that is we get to see what happens outside of Europe. And as advanced as Europe is in a lot of different areas, we are actually quite far behind when it comes to the nature of film. And particularly in the markets that, that are most established, like the German market or the northern European markets of you know UK and, and Scandinavia, there is still no e-commerce link between campaigns and the return on ticket sales. And I think this is a very important thing that's missing. So with our geographic reach, we, we started to go out and meet cinemas all over the world. And one of my colleagues went across to Japan back in, I think, 2016, sat down with several of the studios there, and each one said, you know, we'd really be interested in working with you, but unfortunately, we've already built what you're talking about. And we found out about this system <laughs> called Panda. And Panda is a, an association of distributors and cinemas who collaborate around the concept of audience data. So the audience data or behavioral data that's captured off the websites via pixels, via standard, very standard e-commerce tools, is uploaded into a database where the distributors get access to this in order to push campaigns back to the cinema sites that they feel are most appropriate for those films. Hearing about this makes me slightly outraged because <laughs> why don't we have that? Why don't we already have that? It's insane. Yeah, it's, a, it's a quite surprising for a very conservative market like Japan. It was a real, real eye-opener. But that means if Japan can do it, then we should be able to do it in, in the West. I think the West has its own challenges and the fact that we're quite balkanized. You know, there are many different countries in, in, in the European Union. There are many different approaches. There are many different standards of education. But if we look at Eastern Europe, I would say Eastern Europe and Central Europe are probably more advanced than the traditional economies of Western Europe. And again, it seems to be the longer that a cinema industry is established in the market, the more backward it is when we compare it to modern systems for selling online. So I think that change is coming. And if a modern economy like Japan with a very conservative society can do that, 
then I think we're, you know, it's just a question of putting the process together. The issue is the lack of understanding. So I would say that the most, the second most advanced market for film marketing is probably France. And France was forced to move online because of a legal regulation that meant a studio couldn't advertise its trailers on TV. I don't know why, but that was one of the things that held back that market. What's basically happened in the last three years, certainly since the pandemic, is France has also started to move in the direction of Panda, right? This idea of central hub of data, cinemas working directly with distributors, and using common technology platforms like Allocine as the facilitator between the two. This is the bit that's kind of missing from the rest of the European industry. There's no middle ground provider. There's no technology platform that's been working within film because of the complexity, because of the lack of the understanding of both sides of the market and how they work. It's much easier for, say, an ad tech or marketing tech industry to just go and focus on T-shirts or selling cups or you know, any of the other plethora of things that are marketed online because cinema and film is very, very complex. It's very human-driven. And I think this is the, the advantage that we found, right? We really, really know the, the dilemmas of the distributor. We know what keeps people awake at night. We know what causes them to worry. And from that, we know what things we need to report on to make sure that they sleep better and their campaign campaigns perform. Conversely, we also understand cinemas very well. And now we're able to talk both sets of languages. We've kind of developed the, um, what was the European language that everyone was raving about 20 years ago? Oh, Esperanto. Esperanto, yeah. So we, <laughs> we, we talk Esperanto between the cinemas and the distributors <laughs> and get them on the same page. And fundamentally, the key thing is everyone's interested in more bums on seats at the end of the day. More bums on seats means more revenue. The cinemas get to sell more popcorn and cola. The distributors get to make a better job of driving real buying interest into their films, which then reduces piracy, grows awareness for European yeah. content. It, the whole downstream cascade of events is better for everyone involved. So I see now if I were a distributor or perhaps a, a movie theater, I could turn to you guys for help because these sort of national structures aren't in place. But of course, it would also be beneficial if this infrastructure was very commonly available in, in yeah. all of our markets. Mm -hmm. That'd be good for everybody. And I'm sure you'd still have plenty of work. Unfortunately, it feels like we're a ways away from, from reaching a place where that infrastructure is there. So what would the next steps be? I mean, who needs to do what now, in your view? Well, we're going to need to raise more money from the European Union because when we came back from Japan, we immediately went to Creative Europe and we we started a series of... We've done three money raises from the system now. And they're very much project-based around this idea called the Audience Project, which was our answer to Panda. We feel that innovation is coming rapidly into the sector. Like 10 years ago, when we started attending the Unique uh, Cinema Congress in Barcelona... There were maybe one or two startups that were beginning to get their, their foot into the door. This is companies like Showtime's Analytics and Gower Street Media. But there's not, there was nothing for distribution. You know, there's no technology company. There are generics, like going to platforms that are doing other things and trying to cobble them together. There's nothing specific for film. There's been advances in VOD platform technology. There are companies like Mubi that have come out of Creative Europe. There's... There's nothing that really helps in the promotion. There's nothing that takes the creative. The, the distributors invest hundreds of thousands of pounds each month to try and get created across Europe uh, out into the wider population, gets it monitored, 
starts to perform analysis in terms of what's converting and what's not. And this is the infrastructure that we're in the process of building now. So we have two products. We have TAP, which we started in 2017. That's more or less set up now. Um, it's reading across the hundreds of campaigns that we're running each month. The longer we work in the market, the better bead that we get on the types of audiences that are interested in art house film and independent film, and more importantly, the ones that buy tickets. Because online transactions are behavioral, behavior equals habit downstream. The longer we work in a market, the more we can justify the number of people that end up buying tickets. And that was certainly what we were proving prior to the pandemic with some analysis that we did in, in the Polish market. The next step is getting the cinemas on board. And, you know, we're talking with a lot of the cinema partners. We've got some massive campaigns that we put together with the likes of Vox in the Middle East, Palace Cinemas in Australia. And that's relatively easy in comparison to the challenge that we face with independent cinema. Independent cinema is fragmented. There's no standards of control in how websites are created. People are still using things like WordPress and then plugging them into ticketing systems that were built 25 years ago. And there needs to be a rethinking of the digital foyer experience for independent cinema. Like we can't get away with crappy standards anymore. You know, people need to be thinking if we want a younger audience, then that younger audience is probably going to be booking online. They're going to be using a variety of payment systems and they're not going to tolerate a slow loading website which is difficult to stick a credit card or payment information into once you've and actually selected it. And may not work on your And may not phone. work. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, these things that really, you know, I think, you know, organizations like Europa Cinemas are working very hard on trying to get this these, these kinds of ideas explored. I do also think that cinemas themselves need to take a good, long, hard look at their digital foyer experience and try and book a ticket on their own platform and see how hard it is. Because I'm, I'm sure most of them have just tacked it on without even thinking about it. So the silver lining from the pandemic, as awful as it was, is it forced a lot of cinemas to start looking at their online experiences. And I think that needs to continue at a rapid pace. That's great. And it's very sort of, it feels very practical. Of course, I, I realize if you're like the, the smallest, mo- like the most in the underground kind of, of independent cinema, it might f- feel quite overwhelming. Uh, to 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 feel that oh I need to learn so much about these things, but that's also a place where I feel like competence, or like capacity building projects from from the pu- public sector could really help. And from as you said, these industry organizations, like for instance Europa Cinemas or yeah, or whatever absolutely. they're like the national organizations are. Um, it, now that we're talking about theatrical, uh, how how are you how are you seeing uh, the audiences? Uh, behaving now at i mean i don't want i don't want to say the end of the pandemic as it clearly isn't over but but we are in in some ways returning to normal life um are are in your view uh what can we learn from how people are or aren't returning to cinemas there's no problem with the content as far as i can see because the piracy numbers are very very high which means that people are watching a lot of these films. They're just not doing it legally. I think the big challenge from the market is to try and get, you know, even five to 10% of that audience back into paying for it legally in some way. I think independent cinema has a benefit over the large multiplexes. If I look at what's happening in the UK, the fastest growing chains are the ones that are really focusing on the user experience. So it's things like Picture House, 
it would be companies like Everyman, which actually grew three or four locations and now up to 43 cinemas across the whole of the UK. And so the focus for independent out in that experience I'm seeing is the audiences are kind of demanding a more bespoke, comfortable setting, nice sofas, in theatre dining, and the multiplexes, I think, the ones that were you know, selling as much cheap popcorn as they could without really updoing their, updating their interiors are probably the ones that are suffering the most at the moment. What we're seeing is that, again, it, you know, life is a Pareto distribution. So this idea of the 80-20 rule, what, what we're seeing is the blockbusters are now commanding even greater share of the returns. An independent film is becoming even more hit and miss than it was in the past. It's just that we now have a plethora of habits that have been formed around watching content at home. But at the end of the day, cinema doesn't really compete with the couch. I think the couch is a separate argument and requires, you know, the fear of the couch requires something alternative. The behavior of going out, so going to cinema, going to dinner, going to a comedy club, or some kind of outdoor venture, it's very different to sitting on the couch and trying to figure out what to watch. And film and cinema compete in that area at the theatrical window. So I would say an independent cinema that's got its marketing operation properly together and is working in tandem with the distributor for independent is facing a very, very bright future. The issue is the connection points between the two, right? Mm. There's a human resources component you know, the people that need to leave the film schools understanding digital marketing and its impacts better. On the cinema operation, you know, we are facing probably a, the beginnings of the handover of cinema, you know, family-owned cinemas to the younger generation now. You know, certainly at the conferences that we're going to, we're starting to see younger faces in there because, you know, 10 years ago, the average age at uh, the UKCA, I think, was plus 60. I've seen very similar tendencies in the Nordics. I'd go to these conferences and people would have been, yeah, like gray-haired men, you yeah. know, yeah. passionate about cinema yeah. and passionate about, about movie theaters, but quite traditional. Exactly, exactly. And, and so I think it's with the, the open-minded, more creative, more exploratory people that we've got to get back into the driving seat. Cinema seems to be like a very well-managed, tightly controlled operation with a definite profit yield at the end of each year. The issue is that that's more of a lawyer and accountancy mindset for business control rather than an exploring mindset for figuring out, well, what do we do after the pandemic? And so I think there's going to be some tumultuous times ahead. But what we have to recognize out of that is change usually brings fresh ideas. And I think what we're beginning to see now is the cinemas coming up for air. They realize there's still a slate of content out there Film is the only way that you can value your content, right? Mm. As a producer or distributor, to have any idea of the rights and licensing, you need the box office opening day to still give you a guide because none of these platforms are going to share that data. Even though Netflix comes out with these statements every year at Berlin Al, yeah. I'm still waiting for the numbers, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And therefore the negotiation <laughs> is completely one-sided. And that's not fair, particularly with the European Union throwing so much money into production, right? Now, you, we can try and force the American streaming companies to open up there and become more collaborative. But that's going to be a long, complicated process. The thing that we can do is improve box office. 
And then I would like to start holding masterclasses and negotiation for distributors going, okay, if your box office numbers look like this, you can go back into Netflix and these other companies, tell them who the audiences are, tell them how the film should be marketed, tell them which bits of content that they should be using for the promotion, and then start demanding a higher fee because you've got something special. That's very, very interesting. And and yet it feels, again, like we are a, w- a ways away from that because we're not using even the data that, that is easily accessible for the cinemas. And, and again, we're back to where we were at the beginning, that the, that the theatrical and, and the distribution part don't really communicate as openly as they should. At the cinema, you know, often when you see like these incredible case studies of independent cinemas that are doing very well, either they have incredibly close relationships to the distributors or they're, pra- they're owned by the distributors. And then, yes, of course, you can be experimental. But, but I mean, it's also, I, I, I said before that the cinema owners are very passionate about their business. They are, but it, it's also a business that, that hasn't really changed during their professional careers. Mm-hmm. So the fact that sort of lazy exhibition isn't working anymore, that you have to do all of these extra things... I imagine if I would have done that for 40 years and now people are demanding that I make like events and serve little gourmet meals that I would be outraged at this on principle. But that's what's required, right? Yeah. So could you say something about about this idea that of eventizing uh, film, of course, uh, just going out, but I mean specifically screenings that are uh, that are turned into events somehow or these event releases where you're doing something non-traditional with the way the title is is released what's the what how much does that help and are there limits to how much that helps well it, it, it then becomes even greater question of know thy audience right if you don't know your audience and you're releasing an event cinema release where you've only got like one or two days to make the magic happen oh that's tough right uh, yeah. so one thing is the content selection right? You can go a long way by picking something where you know there's a popular sentiment around the content. The other side of things is building up content over a period of time. We have a series of case studies where we work with jazz in the UK. And essentially what we were doing is we were training the audience over a period of about eight releases to just start going to their local cinema to go and check this out. Because they, you know, they knew the event was good and it was themed around something. So essentially, with your online advertising, you have to approach it with the same logic as you would with, a, with an online newsletter. There has to be a theme. There has to be a theme that has to be followed. There has to be a set pattern of communication. You have to use certain things at certain times. And you have to start thinking about ring-fencing the campaigns around the actual locations that you're, you're hoping to get people into. And then I think once that process is built, then you can start to think about pricing, special offers, additional content, you know, all these other value adds. But because, you know, marketing for event cinema comes from this, you know, big firework display, quiet, big firework display, quiet. There's no continuation between that. So you're not forming habits. All you're doing is just surprising people and hoping for the best. And as an industry, we have to move away from this first world war planning approach that we have to online media, you know, like, I've done my plan. Now I'm going to go out and play golf. The battle will start. And at the end of the day, we'll find out what's going on. It has to be, it has to be more re- reactive. It has to be more theme driven. It has to be more collaborative across the industry. There are just so many little things here that the internet is making easier, uh, which is one of the reasons why we started Eurofilm launches, by the way, was just mm-hmm. to have something up there that tracked who was releasing, when and where, so we could just get the conversations going with, with people. 
Which people can find on your website, by the way. It's a very practical tool. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, the, you know, the other thing is, you know, with that, the, like we don't have to reinvent the wheel around creating a unique trailer edit for your market. You could just figure out what worked well in one market, take that, adapt it, and save yourself, you know, 50 or 60% of the fees that you're having to pay your designers for things like discovery. Mm-hmm. The industry is about to become much more streamlined and lean and mean. But it, it really took the shock of a pandemic to get everyone to start leaning into the conversations. The cinema audience data concept, I, I stood up in front of the Unix Cinema Congress back in 2012 and delivered a 20-minute long presentation for their innovation awards to just say, look, here's what's coming. Why is it important? The first question I got out of the audience is, what's Facebook's newsfeed? Which then made me realize yeah. that I'd spent 20 minutes talking to an audience who had no idea what I was talking about which was my fault, right? I should have done a better job yeah. of priming. But again, you've got to try and understand who you're talking to. And it's the same with distribution. If you don't know who your audience is, you don't have a beat on them, uh, you don't know what's working creatively, and you've got two weeks to make the magic happen in your online campaign, chances are you're going to miss the audience. And even the ones that want to see it are not going to get themselves organized to go to the cinema in time before it's finished programming. And then... All your campaign is driven is interest in the film, which then turns into online piracy. Yeah. And then the, we're back to this idea in part of like the importance of the sort of curation, but also like the, everywhere in the value chain, people need to to think more. I still hear pitches uh, in for development funding where you ask people, who is this for? And they will literally say everyone. It's like, I mean, we all hope that, but but it's it's very unlikely to be everyone. In fact, no. like you, if you to, you only get to everyone by starting through someone, and then yeah. maybe then we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so of course, in every step of the way, we need to we need to get better uh, at this. But it's funny, like where you, what you're saying is so hopeful and so depressing at the same time. But it's like, fixable. We're so it's close really to fixing really fixable. Yeah, it's yeah. really fixable. You know, it's not. There's no rocket science here. These are these are techniques systems that are that are uh, working very well in other forms of industry. What we've been fortunate enough is we've always loved film. We've always come from that background of film. We've always understood online advertising, and slowly over the years, what we've been doing is figuring out how we get the tools and ideas into the context and into the minds of our customers. And now that's there we're starting to see, you know, the magic really beginning to happen. You know, we can turn around bad campaigns very, very quickly now. We can figure out what's not working from a creative perspective within minutes of starting a campaign sometimes. Mm. You know, all these things then become part of the conversation. What we're desperately trying to avoid and move away from is, I give my money to an agency, they come back to me with a report three weeks after the film is launched, telling me that they've successfully deployed the budget and created this many impressions. <laughs> that is something that needs to die. That is, yeah. that is a way of working that needs to be kicked out of the 20th century or 21st century that we're in now. If you as a distributor feel that that method is not working, then it would be foolish to keep trying. But in some yes. situations, I mean, that's what we keep doing. On the Groovy website, there is an ebook which people can find. It's a few years old. Would you still recommend it? Should I start with that book? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's not a great deal of online resources for distributors, which is why we wrote the book back in 2017. We desperately need to update it, but we're just too busy at the moment. But chapter two, 
this idea of know thy audience is still very much the case studies that we did on it follows, you know, the 2016 or 2015 horror release is still just as relevant today. The only bit that we'd be adding now is once you, the, the idea of getting a bead on customer behavior, right? One side is the film interest, right? You can go after people who are interested in art house horror, right? The other side that we're adding is who buys tickets, and can we get the two to intersect? And then once we've got that audience buying tickets, can we then start to model out from there other audiences that the platforms know have similar behaviors? And that's where you see the magic happen. When you combine those two data sets together, your advertising performance in terms of the returns generally jumps between three and six times. So you will make three to six times more money if you combine these two things together than if you just go into Facebook and go art house horror, set up the ads and target it. It doesn't, yeah. you know, it's good. It's way better than what we had during the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. But the next stage is, does this audience buy tickets? And can we prospect for audiences who might buy tickets in the future? And I, I think another thing, just to connect back to the events again, is, I mean, I spoke specifically about things like opera, uh, in the movies, if if you have already managed as a as an as an exhibitor, for instance, to build an audience who who will habitually come and see opera in, in the movies, which is incredibly unnatural when you think about it, mm. then it, you could do that with with a specific type of film or or like the 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 relationships. You already have the skills, and the fact that some of the tools involved are different now. Don't let that overwhelm you. I think these are there is help to be had and uh, and these are problems that can be solved with tools that are already available today. So this approach is absolutely spot on. So cinemas are now woke up, woken up, I think, across the board about the power of a newsletter and the segmentation, writing the newsletter to different audience groups with different tonality, different content. That's happening and there are, you know, great tools like Muso that are out there helping people do that. The issue is prospecting for new audiences, getting younger audiences into the habit of coming to the cinema. And I think that's a different set of challenges to working with your existing base and just informing them about what's what's going on. And this is really the key to the future that, that's, that, that everyone is trying to unlock here. Uh, the idea that you can then start to reach a new audience maybe comes once a year to see something. To get them up to three or four times a year, that's the bit that we need to be focusing on from the cinema side of the industry. And that's new forms of communication. It's working with audience data and turning the concept of the once a week newsletter into a consistent series of interesting ads that are targeted towards relevant people, right? And using simple tools like if someone gets halfway through the booking experience and fails to complete, that's someone you need to be advertising to at least seven or eight times over the course of the next 24 hours because you can then get that person, like you can save 30 to 40% uh, of, of the revenue for that film if that system is set up. So there's all these really simple concepts that work within retail. They now just need to be applied to the film context. I realize we're out of time, so I'm just going to throw in like the quickie question at the end. What's sure. one thing that you would like uh, to... For in particular for independent distributors to understand, but they have to they have to they have to look at their operation as a consortia as an ecosystem. It's no longer us and them, right? It's no no longer viewing your distribution uh, partners within the business um, as as rivals. It's about 
closer collaboration and also getting the cinemas to also understand that. You know, like one of the common bits of feedback we we heard in the early days of trying to sell this concept is, well, what happens to my data once I give it away? Right? Well, what will happen is people will buy tickets at an increasing rate for you and for everybody else, which means better films, more recognition of European content, more recognition of European directors and talent, more investment into the industry from the private perspective, because public funding, as great as it is, it needs the private sector to really drive innovation. Um, And so, you know, I think there is a very bright and rich future. It's just going to take a little bit of the breaking down of the traditional politics of the industry. And I think a collaborative future where everyone's looking across the range of releases and focusing on, you know, driving the total number of independent film ticket purchases up and a decrease in the total consumption of online independent film piracy, that should really be the goal of the industry. Um, and I th- so I think collaborations like Europa Cinemas, Europa Distribution, the various things that the European Union has also put in place are all super, super important. But we have to be talking as a consortia now yeah. and getting rid of the idea. The, concentrating on individual dynamics for your own business operation, yes. But your content is part of an ecosystem, as is the audience. Yeah, it's, it's, that's going to take some bravery, Um but I think also it's very helpful to see that there are we're already seeing results from others who have been that brave uh, in, in other similar markets in other countries. Thank you ever so much for taking the time. No worries. Thank you very much, Joanna. Very, very nice to meet you. And good questions there. Appreciate it. And now to our second guest. Katarzyna Oryszak-Marison is head of promotion and distribution at Poland's successful Gutek Film. Gutek Film has been around since 1994, distributing and promoting world cinema. It also operates a movie theater in Warsaw. Katarzyna, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. You've been a distributor for quite some time. Uh, when did you start? I mean, I've been in a business for about 15 years now. I mean, I've, at the beginning, I've started working at film festivals, but then it was a natural step for me to um, to go into distribution since, you know, festival, it's it's only a few months in a year and distribution is uh, way more films and all year round. Gutek Film is my second distribution company. Uh, I've been working for Gutek for about nine years now. And for about five years, I've been the, the, the head of promotion and distribution. I don't know if, if distributors come in different flavors, but how would you describe yourself as a as a distributor? What we say at Gutek that we actually feel that we are more of a curators, actually, rather than just distributors, because distributors sounds like you just have a product and you have to transport it to uh, different places. But I feel like our role is actually picking and choosing films for the audience like this really a lot a lot of films being produced every year and uh, only some of them are actually getting to cinemas and our role is to pick them for the audience pick the ones that we think that are worth to be seen on the big screen so yeah so i feel like we are actually curating what people are watching that's awesome. I mean, I've I've read now that people are starting to use the term publisher distributor, mm-hmm. which also makes sense, of course. But curator distributor also has a very nice ring to it. 
I, when I'm listening to industry professionals talk, um, people from elsewhere so in the value value chain, so to speak, I, I feel like I hear two things that are in conflict with each other uh, quite often. One is that a lot of people say, oh, distributors are doomed or national distributors are doomed or all the distributors are going to disappear. And then at the same time, I also hear people say we need distributors more than ever and we need distributors to be more specialized and more qualified. Which is it? What's your take on this? I mean... Again, as a distributor curator, as I'm saying, I think, you know, I'm, I'm on the second side. Uh, and I also feel like nowadays when you have, again, so many films, even, you know, on VOD platforms, you have so many films. I feel like people are overwhelmed with the amount of content, a bad word, but used amount of content they actually have. So I think there is a need of someone who will actually propose something to you or choose something to you, someone you can trust that, you know, they will choose something for you that you will like and appreciate. And I think this is the role of a distributor because who else will going to do that? You know, like if, um, uh, and especially I think it's important for distributors who somehow are recognizable for people. That's why I feel like, you know, distributors slightly have to change. And I think it is, um, especially for smaller distributors, it's important that they are recognizable and they do have a brand because it's then you are a curator and then people will go to see films that you've chosen for them. And I think, for instance, our strength is that, you know, for the 25 years we've been in a business, that we do have a brand and uh, we can see that when you go to a cinema and you have a lot of films to choose, people are checking that, oh, this is a good film film. So I know it's going to be good. I know I can, you know, trust them that they've chosen something good for, for, for me. So I think, of course, you know, distributor is changing and it changed over years. And all the companies have slightly different approach. And, you know, you have big studios distributing. You have very tiny specialized distributors. But I think you do need someone and people do need someone that will help them to um, navigate among all those massive amount of titles. It's a bit, you know, like festivals are already doing that, but distributor is doing that even more. It's interesting because, of course, historically, a distributor has not necessarily been a consumer-facing brand, uh, certainly not, not all of them. So, so having that relationship already is incredibly valuable. You, you said that you'd been in this position for about five years. So if we're thinking, I mean, I guess we have to talk about the pandemic separately, but if we're thinking before the p pandemic, we were already in these change processes. How was your job changing then? I would say that distribution is evolving constantly. If I think about, you know, how distribution looked like 15 years ago when I was starting or, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago, we've came from uh, 35 millimeter prints to digital. We, you know, uh, we came from art house cinemas only to multiplexes and more multiplexes, some art house cinemas closing. So it is ever evolving place. So, um, so I do feel like, and of course, you know, with arrival of streaming platforms as well, it has changed. And uh, I would say pandemic slightly speeded up the change. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a constant evolution and there is no like one solution and one path. I think we kind of constantly adapting to what's happening. So you're saying that from your perspective, the change was sort of organic, like it's been a little bit at, at the same time, because uh, I think, I mean, there are a lot of people in the film industry who are in a state of shock right now saying, oh, but like everything has changed. 
<laughs> so fast. I mean, really, like I think the, the evolution was there before already and the change. Like it's not something that pandemic came and changed it by 180 degrees and it's a completely different world. I think it was gradual. And as I said, you know, pandemic sped up some processes, but it's not like we're in a completely different place. I think the people are still want to go to cinemas. And even if we are talking about losing some groups that stopped going or maybe forever, but maybe only temporarily, or people, you know, change the way they watch films or the way they treat cinema. But it's not something that, you know, just happened overnight and we are now suddenly shocked that, uh, you know, it changed so, so drastically. So if we're thinking just about the balance now between theatrical and the other windows that you alluded to, how does that look for you now? I realize I don't know how the window system works in your market either, but has the balance changed if we're looking back five years? I mean, it has. I mean, of course, the windows are getting shorter. Of course, you know, we as a Polish market and in general Europe, I think we're slightly behind the changes. You know, US is, of course, the first territory that is kind of starting all the change. And I would say that the, the experiment comes from there. So then we are a bit, bit behind. But I do feel like even in US, you can see that the experiment of day and date of shortening the windows, not everybody is happy with it. Uh, I do feel for me as a distributor, I still feel that, you know, the main part of our income is still theatrical. It's not like, you know, VOD took over or TV took over. It's still theatrical that is the most important. So, of course, uh, you know, shortening the window uh, is a change. But I'm not saying it's, for instance, change for worse. I think it's just different. I think we're more adapting to how people are watching films. It doesn't mean that people automatically will wait for something that it's online, that they're not going to go to cinema because they know that it's going to be online in two weeks. Also, the windows are not that short. I mean, the shortest window mm. at the moment is 45 days. And I feel that an average uh, viewer is not really aware of windows. I mean, they are aware that films will be online at some point. And then I think they cho choose their cinematic experience more carefully, that they, um, they look in cinemas for something, for, for an experience, that there are films that they can easily wait to watch them online, that they know, okay, I don't have to watch this romantic comedy uh, in the cinema, but if it's an, uh, I don't know, Oscar-nominated film or an event, they will go to cinema. And as well, what we observe that the word kind of exclusive and in general something exclusive is being it's important for people and it makes them go to cinema if you for instance tell them that listen this is going to be only in 10 cinemas or this is going to be in cinemas but it's not going to be online for another at least half a year but this is a film that everybody is talking about they will go to cinema because they want to talk about it as well with their friends so they go, they're not going to wait for it to be online I've had the feeling that we in this industry tend to talk very much from the perspective of what we would like to be true. Like I would like I would like everything to work like it did, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago or whenever, typically whenever I, I was earning the most money in the film industry, <laughs> you know. But otherwise it's so like, yes, it would be great if all the films were in the cinemas. But then we were also making fewer films then. So we also know for a fact that we we don't have the real estate or the audiences, really, for all of the titles to have long releases. And then on the other hand, we have this idea of, of like, what, what would the audiences prefer and what's actually best for different types of movies. And I feel like we're maybe finally slightly shifting to talk about what will work. 
do you have an idea of what would work? Like, do you have a, a theory for how the audience will want to consume a film in addition to what you just said? I don't think there is a one solution and I don't think there is one answer to that because, uh, you know, films have surprised us so many times. You know, the films that we thought not going to work well worked amazingly well and the other way. So I think that's one of the beauty of the distribution that sometimes you really can't predict what people are going to like. Of course, I mean, there are some symptoms or signals if you would do a lot of pre-screenings uh, or you show a film at festivals, you can see what people like and, for instance, base your um, approach or even your you know buying strategy on that but i don't think there is one answer but definitely the way that there's a lot of films and people are more picky for a distributor is also a signal that we should be more careful of choosing what we're buying that it's we definitely are looking into that and we feel that small art house films that used to be in cinemas and i don't know they were in competition in Cannes or got some award in one of the other festivals that you could release them in cinema and they will always find their audience but at the moment i think that's changed a film really has to be an event and i'm not talking about you know this kind of that you're making events for every single thing but it has to be films that uh, you need to look at something that will attract larger audience and that will make people talk and it will be something that they actually feel that they have to see it in cinema and that they have to watch it now. That it's not something that, yeah, I can watch, you know, later when, I, uh, when I'm ironing in front of a TV, I can watch this film, you know. Like, it has to be something special for them. And I think we maybe not buy less films, but we choose them more carefully um, in order to give the audience something really special, especially if we're thinking of us as curators, right? Yeah. We don't want to disappoint our audience by choosing, you know, a, a plenty of films that are not really that interesting for them. I just realized that we're using the word event in so many different ways as well. So, yes, there's definitely what you're talking about, the film in itself, the the content of the film, the story and the the aesthetics and all of this or something about the topic and its timeliness becomes an event. Or for some, sometimes for some unrelated reason, like the people involved, people will talk about them and become very excited. Then the film is the event. Then, of course, we have the idea that just leaving your home and going to the theater is in itself, any kind of theatrical screening is, is an event in a practical sense. And then we make specific events, like with maybe like a guest, uh, the director speaking about the film or, or some organization talking about the theme. That's also an event. And then the idea of releasing anything that isn't like a traditional wide release to us, I think, in the industry who are a little bit older, are, that's also a, an event release in mm -hmm. some way, then we're doing something special. Could you give us some example of how you work on any of these levels with making a film an event? We work on many different events in many different ways. I mean, from starting from uh, that we have, uh, as you called, an event releases, which are kind of smaller, you know, because we do feel that all the films that we have in our catalogue that are worth being watched on a big screen, but not everything has a large extensive release. So we have films that we show only in few films on a smaller amount of screenings and we then kind of announce it and, and promote it in a way that, you know, this is your only chance to, um, to watch this film in cinemas. That of course you can later watch it online, but this is, you know, if you are into cinema and you want to watch something in a cinema, this is the moment. Because then, you know, it's not going to be again. On the other hand, you know, we do create events in our cinemas for for most of our films because um, it is always, I mean, it's it's interesting for the cinemas 
because audience is interested in some special screenings when something else happens that is not only watching a film but it could be a, as you said a meeting with a director a debate on a, if there's a particular issue in a film that could be interesting to you know to go deeper into uh, then we invite guests that could talk about that issue we also uh, you know we cooperate with many different uh, institutions or partners trying to uh, make it interesting for different audiences so it's not only the traditional art house audience but um, you know we're looking for institutions and partners that already have their fan base that we can in a way use to um, uh, to promote our film because you know there is a link in the subject that the film tackles Sometimes when I'm on pitch juries for development funding, I am now starting to hear even the people who make the film talk about this last category. Say, but this is okay. This is, you know, sounds like a niche film or sounds like an, you know, maybe a niche documentary. But there are so many people who are affected by this issue. If we can reach them, exactly, then, exactly. It, then it's going to be great. And then, then the question, of course, for them is if they can. Uh, do you have any example of when that has worked? I mean, I would say it works most of the times. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, you know, again, it depends on the issue. But uh, but really, I mean, like from from even like our latest releases, then, you know, we are releasing a film on this Friday, yeah. EO by Jerzy Kolimowski. And for instance, one of the things we've done, we cooperate with, um, uh, that might be atypical, but uh, a porcelain factory that is actually... Huh. Um, working on i mean they have a they're very known in poland i think they're also very known abroad uh, and they make kind of porcelain figures of animals which are quite expensive they so there's little piece of pieces of art and um so they have a donkey in their collection uh, which and film eo is about a donkey and uh, the director apart from being a filmmaker he's also an artist a painter so he hand painted hundred of those donkeys and the factory is selling them some of them there they are available for purchase but some of them we are actually giving to uh, charity auctions and then some of them connected to art but some of them to support animals uh, including a donkey shelter so i think you know for people for instance who are uh, on one hand interested in art on the other hand, interested in animal rights, you kind of get all these different groups that, you know, maybe they wouldn't normally hear about this film or were not interested. But then, you know, we use that kind of fan base of, uh, and also, you know, it is an element for press release, you know, this, there's a different look at the film's issue. So, uh, yeah, and it's working very well. That's an amazing idea that that is... <laughs> yes, and I love it that it's like the donkey fans and the porcelain fans are meeting in this. It's great. Exactly. So you have kind of two in one, two in one. So I have to say that imagination and a bit budget is the limit. And of course, you know, you could make an event for just making an event, but you also check um, how much it will cost you in terms of money, but also in terms of time and work, because we still, I think, what's even more important now, especially that it is to look at your budget and at your spendings because, uh, you know, everything got more expensive. So you don't want to just, it's, it's, you know, it's no point to make an, one event that 200 people will come and that's it, you know. We do yeah. look that any events we're doing are kind of have wider reach that you can later, either you invite influencers to it that they can film and that they can go, you know, wider 
or that it's something that we're not going to do in one cinema, but in like 20 cinemas, for instance. Um, so for instance, one event as well that I really liked. Last year, we released the film Annette by Leos Carax. And the film was an opening film of Cannes. And uh, we actually asked whether it would be possible to show the film in Poland at special pre-screenings the day of the opening of the festival. Because basically we felt that, you know, it was, it was just after pandemic. It was July. The cinemas opened in May. We felt like people need something special. And we got the agreement for that. And we shown the film in 100 cinemas. Uh, and it was like uh, we really made it, you know, come and be at the can opening. Feel feel yeah. like you're in the festival. So people, you know, people got dressed like they, you know, that they are actually going to a to a can film festival opening. We actually in some cinemas we managed to screen a red carpet live. Uh, so people were actually you know, sitting in the cinema watching the red carpet and then, you know, it kind of ended Laos Carax and the crew entering the, you know, Palais and then the film started. So you actually felt like you were a bit in Cannes and it really went really well. So. And when you are in the Palais, let's be real, you sit and watch the people arrive on the screen anyway. So they don't know, but that's exactly, it's very close to the actual experience. Yeah, so. oh, that's fantastic. And and it creates a social situation where a viewer who might think that that's film, that film is a little weird, I mean, it is a little weird, as in like it's original, that there's a higher tolerance for that because it's like, I'm watching a festival exactly. film. Exactly. It, it was might like be that. strange. Yeah. And I'm, I will be open to this because it's wonderful. Yeah, that's fantastic. I guess some of this uh, this way of working with these very sort of specific groups or communicating the specific messages has to uh, involve a fair amount of social media work. How, how has all of that changed for you in the last five years? No, I mean, we're definitely using it way more than we used to because, you know, like in the past, I would say many times, you know, you would use a lot more uh, printed press or you'd more TV. Of course, uh, you know, TV is still important, but I would say for more uh, mainstream films, for uh, for art house films, the cost of TV is way too, too big. So there's so many ways you can spend your money in the internet that, you know, you do have to use um, social media uh, because your people are there, your audience is there. What mostly changed, I think, is the um, what social media are you using? Because, of course, it all started with Facebook, but then over the years, you know, you have so many newer platforms and your audience is also moving and or, you know, there are new newer audiences that will not be on Facebook. Uh, they will be on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok. So we are experimenting with all of them that um, we do feel that you kind of have to chase your audience. You cannot just stick, you know, to something, to the things you know, because, you know, the fact that I use Facebook, it doesn't mean that, you know, we're going to promote only on Facebook. So, yes, I think, you know, we use it way more in a way more organized way. Probably Ben mentioned already that, you know, we work together with Groovy on that. Uh, and I feel that it is a social media campaign is a base of all our campaigns. It's like I can't really imagine at the moment a campaign without it. But I think it's not the only element that you're using in a campaign. You can't focus only on that. You do have to also make other things because, you know, people have to be aware of the film also in other ways. But the social media campaign is like our base and the good thing that is happening as well now from working with Groovy is that we don't feel like every single campaign you have to start from scratch. 
that you have to, uh, you know, every time looking for your audience. Because I've realized, you know, that a few years ago when we were starting our social media campaigns, the main problem was that, you know, how to define art house audience. Because, you know, you, if you have a mainstream film, you can just, okay, I'm going to target 16 to 49, both genders, uh, cities, 100,000 plus, etc. And you just have a big budget and you will go wide. But with art house films, you know, you don't have such budgets and you cannot just, you know, blindly shooting, be shooting, you know, everybody you know. So, of course, the first campaigns we were doing were a bit like that, just, you know, with smaller budgets and we were looking for interests, you know, what, how can we target those campaigns? But then still, you know, an interest film is so vast that you're still getting everybody who watches videos on YouTube, right? Yeah, exactly. So the good thing that, uh, that comes from com working with Groovy is that, you know, every time, you know, with first campaign, you kind of already got a grip on what your audience is and where is it. And then with every next film, you can retarget it. So I feel like, you know, with every film, we're creating this base of people who are interested in our movies. And then, you know, you can retarget them every time. And yet, every time you and add those special interests exactly, and add those special interests. So, so yeah. So I, I feel like you know we don't have to start from zero with every single campaign. That we kind of are finding that group. We have that group, and uh, we can communicate with them easier, cheaper. That sounds hopeful. I think for for people who are only getting into this, it's it's exactly what you said. The feeling that you. You start from zero every time, I, I think is super overwhelming. But this already makes it sound a little bit less terrifying, <laughs> even for someone like me, who is mostly only on Facebook. <laughs> so uh, for our final minutes, then, uh, how do you see film distribution uh, developing in the next five years? Oh, that is a difficult question, because, you know, I, even like looking at the last few years, the, the changes are sometimes so unexpected, really, you know, because sometimes it feels that, you know, they come from angles you don't really expect. So I do feel that, you know, distribution of films will still exist. Um, I do feel that, you know, we will be more careful on one hand with uh, curating the films, if choosing, you know, our content. On the other hand, we're of course going to be also more careful with spendings that you do, that we do realize that, you know, the audience is more picky and you might not have res the same results as, as you had five years ago. Uh, but on the other hand, um, I do feel that there are still people who are interested in going to cinema. Maybe it will evolve in a way that going to cinema is a bit of an event, more a social thing that, you know, you go out with friends that I'm not saying that, you know, the film is less important, but it's still important. But you, you kind of choose your films more wisely. And, um, and it's important that your friends will going to go with you as well. And you're going to have a drink after that. Maybe we just have going to have to use to the idea that um, people watch films in a different way, that the results we are having now are the new results. We should maybe stop thinking about the past and how it was in the past and just basically realize, okay, the past is past. There's no going back to it. We have a new reality and we just have to deal with it. And and that's it. That's it. Uh, thank you. D two quick questions, if you have time. So the yeah. one quick question is, what are you personally most excited about right now? When you go to work, what makes you go, woo? 
I think still films excite me the most. I mean, if I have, you know, if we have very films that I really like, I really believe in, and uh, to the the creating the campaign, you know, how to make people interested in that film, how to how to reach them, I think that's really exciting for me because it got a bit more challenging, and I think that is actually an exciting thing that you have to be experimental and you have to. Uh, look for new ways uh, rather than just doing, you know, the same every day and every time. That is exciting. That's great. And what do you most wish that other stakeholders would know or would change somehow or do better? Um, well, I hope that, you know, for instance, sales agents will realize that, as I said, there's a new reality and the result's not going to be like in the past. So maybe the films should be slightly bit cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like, yeah. you know, like we've been through the pandemics and, you know, we are doing our best, but then the the other side doesn't see that, you know, it's really, it's, we're not going to, I understand that you need to earn money, but we, we're also trying to do the same. So, um, and also that uh, to realize for everybody that I don't think cinema competes with streaming platforms, that we do compete with other forms of spending uh, free time, basically. That you know that it's not like that the that the VOD platforms is the you know the crucial enemy that we have and if we fight them, it's just a new way of watching films, and uh, we just have to you know make cinema popular again and um, and I hope that all sides will realize that cinema is still important and it is important for people, and that it is worth to continue doing what we what we are doing. I, I want to say, if all distributors were working with this energy uh, and creativeness, I, I'm, I'm feeling very hopeful uh, <laughs> about this outcome. Thank you so much, uh, Katarzyna orishak Marison, for, for coming and, and speaking to us today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. So, a lot of work remains to be done, but a lot of the first steps are low-hanging fruit. I'm mixing my metaphors there, uh, but I, I hope you have that takeaway from this episode as well. This is everything from us for today. Industry Insights is produced by the Berlinale's European Film Market in cooperation with Goethe Institute and co-funded by Creative Europe Media. Today's episode was developed in partnership with Europa Distribution, so thank you in particular to Christine Eloua. If you like what you hear, do share an episode with a friend or give us a review on your podcasting platform. It really helps. We'll be back in your feed in no time. <laughs>